HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. The following is a message from Jones Family Farms. Looking for that perfect Christmas tree this season? What about the perfect wine to go with your holiday dinner? Look no further than Jones Family Farm, a 400-acre working farm in Connecticut. Jones Family Farms is as passionate about education as it is about farming. Whether you're picking fresh strawberries or exploring local wines, we hope you're inspired to learn more about Connecticut farming. For more information, visit www.jonesfamilyfarms.com. Welcome to Let's Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica Wides, your host. So along with creating and hosting this very important radio show every week, I have another job. I have a day job. I also teach at a very well-known culinary school here in New York. And it's a school, in theory, for people who want to be chefs or work in the food business somehow. So, in theory, the people who attend are people who are really into food in theory. And while they're with us, we immerse them in the world of food. Real food, of course, no foodiness allowed. And because I tend to assume things, often incorrectly, I assume that my students inherently have a clear idea of the difference between food and foodiness. That they have a built-in foodiness detector, like I do, and can explain to you in simple terms, why chicken and chicken nuggets are not equal. But unfortunately, it turns out that they don't have the built-in foodiness detector, at least not the younger ones in my class. The younger ones are the ones who show up for class drinking Red Bull or bottles of sports drinks or those like breakfast protein type weird drink things and eating power bars or Even worse, they show up with Lunchables. 
you know, Lunchables, those like kid foodiness, little packaged trays of tiny bits of processed shit. They eat those in class. Or like at the end of the class when we're supposed to be presenting their steaming platters of classic French cuisine or their beautifully plated individual versions of contemporary master's menus. They'll slip out into the hall to the soda machine and get themselves a Diet Dr. Pepper or a grape soda to wash down their boeuf bourguignon or their sautéed skate with shallot compote. And it seems like these kids have been, like it's like they're born without the genetic code to identify foodiness or maybe just because of their young tender age, they've grown up in a world where foodiness actually equals food. In their young minds, there's no difference between food and foodiness because the line has been indelibly smudged. And it's not even really a line anymore. It's more like a firewall, like a foodiness firewall. It's why when we're making a recipe and it calls for lemon juice, sometimes they'll go to the fridge and look for the bottle of lemon juice first, not the lemons. Or if we're making a dessert and it says to fold unsweetened whipped cream into it, there's an occasional hunt in the fridge for the nozzle-tipped can that would say unsweetened whipped cream on it. Or even worse, they'll go looking for that plastic tub of the non-dairy whipped topping not realizing that that's not actually a dairy product and not cream. These things have really happened. I'm not making this shit up. I'm always just surprised because it happens with kids, young adults, who want to be chefs. So that means that they take real food and prepare it in some way, right? That's what chefs do. So it just seems logical to me that if they want to be a chef, they must be familiar with real food and to know the difference between food and foodiness, between a real lemon and lemon juice in a bottle. I mean, aspiring chefs who don't know what real food is are like openly gay Republicans to me. If you're openly gay, why are you a Republican? One cancels out the other. If you don't know what a lemon is or that that's how you get lemon juice, why would you want to be a chef? What do you think being a chef means? Do you see what I'm saying? There's sort of a serious disconnect going on here. And yet again, I assume, incorrectly, again, I can admit it, I assume that they'd know the difference. But yet again, they don't. I can't help it. I'm an assumer. It's me, not you. I swear. It's not totally their fault, of course. I mean, big food has put up this firewall between people and food. And what I mean by that is that being raised on pre-prepared foodiness your whole life, things like lemon juice in a bottle, if you never see a lemon being squeezed to make juice, that's firewall. And so we associate lemons with bottled lemon juice. Not the juice that comes out of the lemon, but the juice in the bottle. Foodiness has really made it nearly impossible to see through that firewall, let alone break through it. So I think that anybody born... Probably after about 1960 has the same problem because we all grew up in the foodiness packed late 20th century. We never had to struggle through a depression or a war or hunger or great poverty, except like until now, the past five years or so. And even if some of us had grandmas who cooked or even moms who cooked like I did, they were still probably relying a whole lot more on foodiness convenience products than their moms ever did. 
you know, slipping them in to save themselves a little time or avoid a mess or a perceived cost savings. Using cans of soup in casseroles or as sauces or even worse, using cans of soup as soup. Now, canned soup to me is the iconic foodiness convenience food. Canned soup is so far down that rabbit hole that we think of soup and we see a can in our minds, not a pot on the stove. So much so that the Campbell's Soup can label is one of the most recognized food logos in the world. World over. It's in like the top five. And it's funny to me because I see ads on TV for products like canned soup and they're always invoking the nostalgia, the nostalgia of grandma and her homemade soup. Well, grandma was probably born in 1945 and in 1970 when she got married and had kids, she was too busy smoking her Virginia Slims and going to key parties and getting a job and wearing wrap dresses to make homemade soup. So all I can say is that when it comes to foodiness advertising, watch out for the grandmas. Because if you're seeing a grandma, you know you're being hoodwinked. I mean, whose warm, fuzzy grandma memories are we invoking? Or maybe if you're older, whose mom memories are we invoking? I mean, maybe mine, sort of. I mean, I certainly ate my can, my share of canned soup. And my immigrant mom cooked... She cooked dinner every night, real food, every night. And she made her own pickles, and she baked bread, and she made strawberry jam in the summer, and she baked pies. I mean, she cooked. But still, I ate canned soup with grilled cheese for lunch when I came home every day after kindergarten. I sat in my little table in the playroom, my little chair. I watched the Magic Garden, and I ate canned soup. I probably ate canned soup while my mother was upstairs cooking a pot of borscht or some other homemade real food for dinner. And I preferred the canned soup, of course. I was a little kid. It was saltier and sweeter and squishier and soupier than her homemade soup that was full of chunks of weird stuff and cabbage and bones and, you know, real food. I mean, I was five, right? What did I know? Maybe it has everything to do with the palate predilections that foodiness manufacturers prey on. They know that kids are overwhelmed by certain flavors. They know that if they bomb them with sugar and salt and fat, they'll kind of flatten out the rest of their senses and they'll only be able to rely on those base tastes. And so they kind of prey on that. It's the primal predilection for salt and sugar and fat that we're all born with. Now, I learned soon enough to like real food better. I was trained. At some point, the canned soup got cut off in our house, and that was it. So she was upstairs making her real food. I was glued to the TV eating canned soup. It was like the old world colliding with the new, from one floor of the suburban split level down to the next, in a little surreal kind of Long Island microcosm of the mid-20th century. My immigrant mother moving to the suburbs, cooking her little heart out while I sat downstairs watching TV and eating tomato soup from a can. Then, of course, she got divorced, went back to work, and the paradigm shift was totally complete. No more canned soup, but also no more homemade soup. At least we got a few years in, a few good years of food there. So canned soup to me is the red and white illuminated icon of pre-prepared foodiness products that have taken us so far away from their origins that we can't find our way back to the source. It's that damn rabbit hole that I keep talking about, but we keep falling down it. 
I mean, if soup equals can, then how come the ads on TV always talk about your grandma? My grandma bought all her food pre-made from Empire Kosher. And that was in the 50s and 60s. I mean, talk about proto-foodiness. Now, this is not my immigrant grandma. This was my other grandma, my native-born kosher grandma. There was kosher foodiness, I think, before there was even regular foodiness. Pre-made food in foodiness form takes us farther and farther away from our food. Now, remember last week's show how I was talking about our senses and how we're all losing our ability to tell if our food has gone bad because we don't know what it should smell like because we're so out of touch with the natural cues of our food. Remember the great circle of life, Elton John? Well, how can you engage your senses when you're shopping for a can? Cans don't smell. You can't see anything. I mean, I guess the pictures on the label could tell you something. Although on the classic Campbell soup can, there is no picture. And also, by the way, the Campbell's website doesn't list the ingredients for any of its products. They have the nutrition information, but not the ingredients. What are they trying to hide? I think that's very strange. So if you don't have to shop for your ingredients, how can you know what those ingredients mean, how they work together, how they actually create food? I mean, the experience of buying a carrot or a chicken or a tomato, you know, if you don't have that, you lose the ability to evaluate them sensually. You lose out on your right to know what your food is. And this is the foodiness firewall. If you only know soup in a can, you never, ever, ever know its constituent real ingredients, like chicken or carrots or tomatoes. So you deduce that what's in the can is chicken or carrots or tomatoes. But you don't know what those things really are, that what they are in their detached, headless foodiness form. Out of context, out of their elements, they become something else, something completely removed from the original. It's that foodiness firewall. It makes it so easy that it makes us so helpless and vulnerable. I mean, look at the news lately. It's all about BPA in cans. There have been 100 stories this week in the news about BPA. BPA is a plastic that's used to line cans of food. It's done to prevent leakage and to prevent bacteria from seeping into the seams of the can. Great idea. Turns out BPA is an endocrine disruptor and may cause cancer. And here we've been eating food in cans for the last, what, 75, 80 years. People who eat canned soup regularly have hundreds of times more BPA in their systems than people who don't. And that can't be good because we are not so sure what it's doing to us. Now, the food industry says it's okay because even though you're ingesting the BPA, you actually excrete it. Your body doesn't store it. But that means that as we excrete that BPA, it's going out into our water system and into the food chain via sea life, and then back into us again because it works its way back up the food chain. So it's the foodiness feedback loop from which you can never escape. And all you wanted was a bowl of soup. Talk about helpless and vulnerable. Our pre-made food society takes an inconvenient food to a new level because preparation is the inconvenience. And if you don't know how to prepare anything, it's impossible to break free of that cycle. It's like being pushed around in a wheelchair, even though your legs work just fine. But after a while, you'll have no idea how to walk or be able to choose where to go. So eating like eating canned soup is kind of like being paralyzed. It's like we're all a bunch of food quads. 
Now, all these pre-made products give us the illusion that we can get the things we used to get by making them without actually making them. If they invoke the grandmas in the ad, look out. Like I said before, grandmas are a warning sign. Pre-prepared foodiness is the ultimate in foodiness convenience. The only thing left would be if the manufacturers ate it for us. Would we call that eatiness? Pre-preparation also makes us helpless. So once we don't know how to make the soup, we have to buy the canned soup. Or if we don't know what to do with an egg, we have no choice but to buy pre-made frozen scrambled eggs. Yes, they exist. I know, it blows my mind too. How hard can it be to scramble an egg? Even a quad can scramble an egg. Oh, well, no, maybe not. Sorry, a little inappropriate. So when the apocalypse comes and nobody is scrambling our eggs for us, we are truly all doomed. Except, of course, for me. I know how. But please don't come knocking at the door of my fallout shelter. Because maybe what I'm going to do is turn my fallout shelter into a restaurant and I can serve up all that stored canned soup from 50 years of paranoia that I found hidden in there. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, more about soup not coming from cans. Welcome back to Let's Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica Wides, your host. Remember that if you're a fan of Let's Get Real, you can follow me on Twitter at Let's Get Real Show, or you can find me on Facebook at Let's Get Real. You can also visit the Let's Get Real Show.com website where you can read my vlog, which is my foodiness blog. You can leave comments on the shows. You can also listen to the first 12 episodes of Let's Get Real on the site. And, of course, all Heritage Radio Network shows are forever enshrined on iTunes. So you can listen to them anytime. So anyway, we're talking about soup and cans and pre-prepared foodiness. And the point is that pre-prepared foods basically are foodiness insurance in that they ensure that we won't ever buy real food. And that the people who make foodiness, pre-prepared, pre-prepared foods, can basically fuck with our food as much as they want and totally get away with it. Pre-prepared food products over time permanently hijack the real deal. So we don't know what homemade real chicken soup is. We only know Campbell's. And we don't know what we've lost because we've never had it. It's Soylent Soup. Soup equals can. We wouldn't even know what to do with real soup if we saw it. We'd probably try to wash our hair with it or something. And it's not just soup. Think of all the pre-made stuff you grew up eating, never questioning its value or the fact that it was a packaged version of its original self, like canned cranberry sauce or that damn whipped 
topping, which is not even a dairy product. It's made from petroleum or spaghetti sauce in a jar or even microwave popcorn. And now it's even worse with pre-made packaged cooked oatmeal, cooked packaged rice, those frozen pre-made eggs that make me crazy, frozen pancakes, microwavable burritos, frozen P.F. Chang dinners in a bag. That's like taking foodiness out into like the realm of existential foodiness or something. You go to a restaurant that's creating foodiness versions of a cuisine and then taking those versions, packaging them, putting them into bags, freezing them, and then taking them home and cooking them again. I can't even conceive of what that really means. Or things like cereal bars with layers of fake milk inside. I mean, at least TV dinners were a complete meal. Now we can't even cook our own eggs. We don't have to. Everything is available pre-made. Everything. You can literally get everything pre-made, pre-cooked for you. And it's not like you're just getting those simple foods in a pre-made form. I mean, there's all kinds of shit being added to these products. So you can be damn sure that those frozen pre-cooked eggs don't have a three-ingredient list that reads something like this. Eggs, butter, salt. It reads more like this. Egg whites, modified food starch, non-fat dry milk, whey protein isolate, soybean oil, carrageenan salt, natural egg flavor, guar gum, xanthan gum, annatto coloring. That's what's in frozen pre-made scrambled eggs. And it's not like it's really that hard to cook an egg. I mean, seriously, get a pan. You can use non-stick. I'm okay with that. Heat up the pan. Put a little bit of oil or butter in the pan. Crack an egg into a bowl. Don't get any shell in there. Take a fork. Beat it up a little bit. Maybe put a pinch of salt in there. Drop it into the pan. Stir. Remove. That's it. Ingredients. Egg, butter, salt. Packaging in your trash, one eggshell. Cost, anywhere from 25 to 40 cents, depending on the kind of eggs you buy. Here's how you make lemon juice. Buy a lemon. Cut it in half. Squeeze it. You don't have to fall down that canned soup rabbit hole or into the frozen breakfast product trap. You can just make the stuff yourself. It's really not that hard. I'm telling you, making simple soup is simple. You can even use frozen vegetables, and I won't judge, and I won't tell anyone. Just don't use canned vegetables. You don't want that BPA. If you're going to use canned vegetables, you may, may as well just eat canned soup. Frozen vegetables, I am totally cool with, though. So let's say you go to Ikea, and you buy a piece of furniture, and you take it home. You have to assemble it, and you do it. You can do it. Some people hire people to do it, but most of us assemble our own Ikea furniture, or you upload your apps. You do that yourself. You program your phone. Or you make sure that every person you've ever met and every person they've ever met sees every picture you ever take and follows your every thought on Twitter. You can make soup. Here's how. You get a pot. You put some olive oil in it. Or butter. Or whatever kind of fat you want. You cut up an onion into little pieces and you put it in the pot. You let the onion cook for a few minutes. You throw in some chopped up vegetables. Cook those a little bit. Maybe you had some takeout the night before and you have like a leftover piece of chicken or maybe like a leftover rib. Throw that in the pot. Put in a little salt, a little pepper. 
Look on your spice shelf and find something that is newer than dating to the Carter era, preferably something from Clinton on. Open it up, make sure there's no bugs in there, and add a teaspoon, like maybe dried basil or dried thyme or something. Put some of that in. Then you need to get a box of chicken stock. Chicken stock is basically water with a chicken cooked in it. Get a box. Don't get a can. Open up the box. Dump it in there. Bring the whole thing up to a simmer. A simmer means there's just a couple little bubbles breaking on the surface. When it starts to simmer, turn the heat down and let it cook until it smells like soup. Not like canned soup, like grandma soup. If you have no frame of reference for that, then just cook it until it smells like food to you, like good food that you would want to eat. That's how you make soup. Real soup, demystified, with no grandma in sight. Imagine how impressed your friends will be. The thresholds for cooking are so low that you'll look like Mario Batali minus the tired red ponytail. Eat the soup twice a week and don't call me in the morning. You won't need to call me in the morning because you will be healthy and happy. What you will not be is obese or diabetic or dead. And if that doesn't motivate you, consider this. When pre-prepared foodiness products make you sick, you have to take drugs to treat the sickness. But if you're healthy, you can just, just take drugs for fun. Isn't that worth a bowl of real soup? Remember, you don't have to be a cook to cook. All you have to do is know a few basics. So if you do wind up in that fallout shelter, you don't have to come knocking on my door. Don't fall into the foodiness hopelessness. Keep hope alive. Pre-made so-called foodiness convenience foods are going to kill us. They're going to kill us either by crushing us under a falling display at a Megamart or via some awful foodiness-related disease caused by eating shit. Why would you want to eat shit? That shit can kill you. So remember that it's really simple to cook for yourself and feed yourself and avoid foodiness products. You can avoid the early death that foodiness brings on to you by just breaking food down to its simplest parts. What do I want to eat? Buy those ingredients. Figure out how to cook them. It's really, really easy. So we are potentially going to have a special episode coming up next week. I can't tell you what it's about. It's a really big secret, but you're just going to have to stay tuned. And then coming up toward Christmas time, we're going to do a whole episode about sugar and the candification of American food. And that's going to be a really good one. So stay tuned for that. So we're just about out of time. Thanks for listening. Remember to visit letsgetrealshow.com. Follow me on Twitter at Let's Get Real Show. And listen to Heritage Radio Network as much as humanly possible. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.